to see so many awesome things happening in the in the community. You know, it's been exciting to see the church grow over the last couple of years. That uh, we've we've known, we've seen great growth, and a lot of it has been through our church community, through people that you already know that are connected to Portico or connected to another church and just found a new home here. It's been great to see that. But the heart is that we reach people who have never heard the gospel message before and never heard about Jesus. And as we connect with the people at the MCRC as well as the building next door, that's what our real prayer is, is that we begin to show the love and life to people who have never seen it and heard it before. And we start to see growth that way. Uh, exciting family announcement for you guys. How many would know Stephen Lonnie Meisner? You know, some of you would know Stephen Lonnie. And you know that Lonnie has been one and a half people for about nine months now. One and two thirds of a person. As of Thursday, she was one and 99 one hundredths of a person. And on Friday, that changed. She is now, she is now only one person. And they, I went to see them yesterday. And she had a little healthy baby boy named Alexander. And um, we, yeah, we can praise God for that. And uh, they're very happy. Their other two daughters, um, they were... They were hoping for a puppy, and uh, they didn't get a puppy, so they're not as happy. But uh, just, uh, just be continuing to pray for them and their family as Lonnie recovers, and when, uh, when they'll, they'll be back and around in a few weeks. But uh, just exciting times for them as they go into a new phase of life with three happy, healthy babies in the family. And you, would you guys have any idea what that's like? No, yeah. <laughs> so exciting times and uh, great things, great things happen. Actually, I had Hope and I made two visits y- yesterday. We went one to see the Misers. We were really excited with them. And one we went over and saw Richard Darabont, who is not here with us. Oh, is he? Oh, he made it, yeah. How's it, how, how's it going? No, the other hand. How, how's it going? Uh, he's not lifting that one. He... Uh, he Richard enjoyed his March break for about four hours, and uh, Kelso happened. Kelso Snowboard Park happened. So he's walking, but he's not shaking hands this morning. So we're just great to see that people are out enjoying their March break, right? (laughs) Good time. And we know that there's going to be a number of people away traveling over these few weeks as it's March break. But we thank you for uh, joining here with us this morning. Hopefully you got a Timbit. I had to stop and get some Timbits and coffee for the people that were here at 8.30, which was 7.30. We, we have an idea. We're going to no longer celebrate the, the time change anymore. So, so we never have to do this anymore. We're going to occupy daylight savings or something like that. <laughs> well, we're moving along in our series about um, Illuminate, and we're exploring what it means to live in this new humanity. And it's funny, we're talking about... Uh, I was uh, thinking about babies and uh, going to see a brand new baby boy yesterday. And I was thinking, what was your first exposure to sex and babies? Think about that. Your first exposure when you heard about it, when you started where these concepts came from. When Hope was five years old, we were sitting at dinner and she looks at us. She's got these thoughts going through. She'd been talking a little bit with Amanda before, but she just looks, she looks me square in the eye because I think, I think she, th- she knows that Amanda will like sugarcoat some things with us, but she knows every once in a while I'll just like level her with like some straight on information. So she's, you know that look, if you know Hope, she's got that look. She's looking at me and she's going, Dad, where do babies come from? <laughs> this is dinner conversation. It's not like I was school. Do you want to go play with the ball afterwards? This is where do babies come from? Dinner. So I looked at her, and I, I got, my eyes got really big. And I said, oh, well, Hope, when a mommy eats a really, really tiny baby, it stays in her belly for nine months, and it grows and grows and grows. And then, after nine months, out comes a full-size baby. And she's still got this kind of stink eye looking at me. And she goes, Dad, 
That's not how it happens. And maybe you should take some time off of sarcasm. <laughs> Hope you might be right. You might, you might be onto something there. I know that she knows that now it requires two seeds, one from a man, one from a woman. We're not fully prepared to have that discussion. I'm okay because I know Amanda's going to have to do it anyway because Amanda gets in those things. She's the health teacher and she's going to have to. So I'm just kind of throwing in like little jots. She's like, what are we? So what's, she asked me what Sunday was about, what I was talking about. She knows it's happening in kids' church. We're talking about sex. And Amanda, <laughs> oh no, Amanda, Amanda hit, hit, hits me and stops me. Amanda's going to have to deal with that anyway. I can, I can remember the schoolyard discussions when I'm in grade four, five, and six. And we're starting, the topics changed from we were, we were talking about the Leafs and we were talking about how, how fast we could run. We were talking about how much food we were going to eat. And then we started to talk about girls every once in a while too when we were, out on, we were out playing together. And not everything was altogether accurate. Let me tell you that. When, we, when these grade four, five, six-year-old boys were having these discussions, we didn't have everything perfectly figured out yet. We thought we knew everything about it, but not quite there. We believe that the Bible is truth, right? This morning? In this church, we believe the Bible doesn't even just contain truth. We, bu- we believe that the Bible is literally truth for our lives. And we know that sex is a big part of our lives. And we better believe that the Bible has some pretty clear truth on it. Because we know that our society is pretty vocal about sexual liberty and sexual freedom and experiences. So as Christians, shouldn't we be very familiar with what God's expectations are for our sexuality? I remember last week we finished on the verse in Ephesians 5.2. And remember, we've been, we've been, we went through that whole part of theology about what Christianity is. It isn't something that we do. It isn't something we achieve. It's something that's given to us. We're adopted into the family. We don't earn it. God already did it. It's done for everybody. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. And now we're looking at practically how do we take that next step. And then we're told, be imitators of God. Remember, we had those, Im- those great impersonations up on the screen. There, I'm not a crook. And uh, we had somebody have, kind of doing Barack Obama. Nate was kind of doing that. And we said, don't be, don't be impersonators. Don't try and give that false sense of, of, yeah, I can kind of be what that person is. Be imitators in every thought, deed, way of, of God. That's what we're called to be. And that includes our thoughts, it includes our actions, so it definitely includes our sexuality. So this morning we get the sex talk part one. In a couple of weeks we're going into what it looks like in marriage, and and that's what we're going to look at at the end of the month. But at this point we're just, Paul only addresses what our sexuality is all about. So we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can slip up your hand. And uh, sorry, Derek, I know you just sat down, but uh, we'll make sure that you get a copy of the Bible to share, uh, to borrow this morning. And so if you need, if you want a Bible, you can follow along. Just slip your hand up, Derek, we'll get you one. And if not, the, you can follow along on your, on your smart devices. Just search for uh, Portico or Milton in the U version. And uh, a lot of the words will be on the screen in our other passages as well. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. This is Paul's teaching to the church on sexuality. But among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, 
such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything is illuminated, that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So let's get this right out of the way as, as we get going. God created us as sexual beings. It's an idea that dominates a lot of our lives and our relationships. Sex isn't the world's idea. It's God's idea. And the biblical concept of sexuality is rooted right in the very first verses of the Bible. If we think about this, let's go to Genesis 1, 27 and 28, the first half. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then verse 28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So after the world's created, God makes a boy, he makes a girl, and then he says, go have babies. (laughs) So try to dispute that God didn't have a plan for sexuality. (laughs) Some people are doing really well having babies. Hi, Gracie, how you doing? (laughs) In fact, the very first thing that God says to his new creation, he creates them, and he says, go have babies, <laughs> which means go have sex. God defined it for us. It's not, it's not defined by the world. It's something that's designed by God. And to be honest, the church of past centuries worked pretty strongly against us. Kat and I were talking about, not maybe this incent, but we were, we were, Kat's getting baptized in a few weeks. We were, we were going through some of the, some of the pre-baptismal stuff. And we were talking about how sometimes our experiences with church shape our mindset today. And the way, it, it's, it's kind of like a lens that we view everything that happens today. And the previous generations of church sometimes gave our world and our church the impression that talking about sex was unholy and that God didn't want it this way. And in many churches, most churches, for hundreds of years, you would have never heard the word sex spoken. So where did we pick up this idea from? Where did we get the idea that sex and church don't go together? Maybe, well, never mind. I'm not going to go down that road. The, <laughs> the, world got, <laughs> the world got its hands on what sex could be and perverted it. And now it's totally different than how God designed it for us. So it started to feel wrong or different than how God designed it. And so we come to bad conclusions that it's not part of who we are to be as Christians. And so then the church stops becoming a leading voice on the issue because it's been perverted. So we say we're not going to address it. We're right at the beginning of creation. God says, no, I've got a plan for sexuality. So Paul, as we're going through this whole letter of Ephesians, and he's going through how we're to act with each other and for ourselves, now he gets to sexuality, and he says, here's the model of how we're going to address it. And he he knocks it head on. So kids these days, do you know what age kids are hitting puberty now? Between 8 and 10 years old. 
In North America, the Western world, kids begin to hit puberty, go through changes to becoming adult beings at eight years old, nine years old. In, in extreme cases, it's six, seven years old. And it means that they're starting to develop hormones and they're starting to develop sexual feelings and they're starting to develop curiosity at eight, nine, ten years old. What happens when kids get curious? Parents? <laughs> when you're kid- trouble, yeah, yeah, Suzanne, no. When, when there's something that they're not supposed to touch on top of the fridge, there's cookies up there, or, or they know that there's dessert on top of the fridge, but they can't quite see it. What do your kids do? <laughs> they get a chair, they crawl, they want to know what it's about. When they know that there's something on the computer that they're not, a website that they're not supposed to go to, you say, oh, that's not a website for kids, that... They think, well, what are you looking at on the website? How come I'm not allowed to read that, Mom? How come I'm they want to, They want to find out what it is. So when we say to our kids <laughs> as a church, well, sex isn't something we're going to talk to you about, what do you think they start to think? Well, how come I'm not supposed to? And they're having these feelings. They're having hormones. They're starting to hit it at 8, 9, 10 years old. And Lord, help me if Hope learns about sexuality from Google or the kids at school when the Bible has wonderful t- teaching on what our sexuality is to be. If we remember, how old were the Jews when they got married off? They were like 10, 11, 12, 13 years old when they were married. And the priests would meet with these kids at this age, and they would, they would teach them what marriage was about and what sex was about. And they would say that, no, you're designed for each other, and you're designed to, to be together for each other and for family. And this is how God designed it. And, we, and we're afraid because we think, no, I want, I want to keep my kids innocent, which is, which is true. And we're going to get to that word innocent in a little bit. But we end up, think about this, if we, don't, if we don't talk to our kids, and if we don't talk to our world about sexuality, we end up letting a sinful world teach our kids and dictate what sexuality should be instead of saying, God's got a clear plan for this. And the Bible has awesome truth for us. Our culture has this fascination with prolonging adolescence. And if you've been following along in Luch's book, A New Humanity, you know, I, I know some of you have it. Some of you have been going to the course. Uh, you've been going to the course on Thursday nights and you've just saying, hey, this has been a great course. Luch gets to this concept and he says that our world wants to prolong adolescence. And with our young adults, we see young adults living at home longer, and we see young adults who aren't getting married as, as, as early, and we're trying to figure out uh, how they're supposed to, they're, they're trying to figure out where they should live and what they should be and what they should become, and so they stay home. And we have adults who are way beyond young adults living an adolescent life and trying to appear more adolescent, appear young. We do everything we do to stay younger longer, and the Bible says, no, push on towards maturity, right? We read that a few weeks ago. Push, push towards maturity in God. And we're growing up faster as people, so we hit our transformation at 8, 9, and 10 years old. And we know that God creates us as a sexual being, and we encounter these feelings at the very latest by 11, 12, 13 years old. And then the world teaches you about sexual freedom and sexual liberty, and then we wonder why we struggle, <laughs> because we're not hitting this head on and we're prolonging this adolescent stage. And God does have an answer for us. The answer is this, sexual innocence. And here's one of the main thoughts for this morning, is that evil destroyed the innocence of your sexuality. And we think of the word innocence, 
and sexuality, when we say these things together, when we say innocence and sexuality, we usually think what? We think virginity. Remember, God said, be fruitful. I don't mean to be the seventh grade health teacher here, but if you want to have be fruitful, it takes a mommy and a daddy who love each other very much and they come together and then we be fruitful and we have a... Sexual innocence is not virginity. Sexual innocence is one man and one woman in marriage. That's what God's plan for sexual innocence was. And this is why Paul needs to write to the church. We read it in verses 3 and 4. He says, But among you, there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. For these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Three key words in this passage. Immorality, impurity, and greed. The word that Paul actually summed it up with, the Greek word, is pornea. And and pornea, here's how it's defined. Any sexual act outside of marriage. And it's where we get the English word porn from. The big lie that the world tells us, that our society wants to portray, is that we can define our own sexuality. We We can decide... What's within the boundaries of good, healthy sexuality? We've said that as long as two people of any age, any relationship are together and they love each other, then sex between them is good because they love each other, they're committed to each other, it's good. And that's not true, that's a lie. Sex is about pleasing the other person that God gave you within the construct of marriage. He started that right at the beginning of the world. One man, one woman, together. And Paul used the word greed here. That it becomes, it becomes selfish. That sin always takes for self. We know this, right? Sinful acts, whether it's stealing, whether it's lying, whether it's whatever it is, it's trying to be selfish. It's trying to please ourself. And sexual innocence, as defined by Scripture here, is the opposite, is, is about giving. It's not about greed. Anything that objectifies or minimizes people or consumes for self, it has no place within the kingdom idea of what sexuality is. And here's what we know. In Paul's day, he's writing to the church, and in our day, as we're reading this as a church, there are many believers who struggle with the idea of what Christian sexuality is. It's in our actions. It's in our attitudes. Sometimes it's not expressed physically, but we're struggling with it. Verse 3, if, if you read in this passage, verse 3 is all about acts, and verse 4 is more about the mind. I, I love that Paul says to his people, he says, I know there are people in the church in, in Ephesus as well. Remember, this letter is not just to the church at Ephesus. This letter, as we've learned, is to all Christians all over the world that Paul was writing to. And he says, there are people who are trying to follow God, that haven't figured out how to do that sexually yet. And their lives... Remember last week we said, who's a saint? And Derek is the only one that got his hand up. In the, no, I think that... And one of them were, we, who's, Derek's like, I am. I, I was at Mississauga last week. I know. Because <laughs> we don't want to say we're saints because we say saints means I do everything perfectly. We say, no, saints mean I'm a saint. I've turned my life over to Christ and he's working on me. And every day I go back to him. So Paul says, saints... Church, you're Christ followers, but you haven't got it all together sexually yet. And 
God extends grace to everyone. That's the wonderful thing, is that you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. I, I, was, I was studying this this week, and I said, I need to tweet that. That sounds wonderful. That we, we, we need to remember that people need to know you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be living a, even a good life to follow Jesus. You need to be open to letting him speak to any area of your life and pinpoint, here's where I want to change. Think about the prostitute that is dragged out in front of everybody else and has been doing something sexually wrong, right? We know that outside of what God's constitutes of sexual innocence is. And what does Jesus do? Did nobody condemn you? I'm not going to condemn you. Just go. Don't sin anymore, (laughs) but go. He extends grace. He looks at somebody who's in a sexual act mindset that's outside of what God's design is, and he says, I love you. It's okay. Just go figure it out. Don't sin, but be with me. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 19, but Lot and his daughters had some not right sexual things going on, and they had kids. And they became the leaders of the nation of Moab and the leaders of Ammon. And anytime you read in Scripture in the Old Testament, if you've been going through the Life Journal with us, if you read the Ammonites, that came from the babies of Lot and his daughter, or the Moabites. It's a baby from Lot and his daughter. And we know that God blessed that, not because they did, it, they did something right, but because God extends grace to anyone who's able to say, God, pinpoint an area in my life that I maybe don't have it figured out yet, and start to change me. This message that Paul writes isn't one of guilt, but it's one of admission. That is, that there are imperfect people trying to follow God and messing up from time to time. That we were created as his children, and we've strayed because the world has given us bad messages, because there's sin in us, and we've embraced some of that sin, and we're trying to get back to God. And we're accepting this adoption piece by piece. So he calls us back to sexual innocence. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. They were in perfection in the Garden of Eden, right? They were honoring God. They were honoring each other. They were totally naked, which we can't even understand. Like, not many of us are comfortable in that, in that state. And then the word greed pops up. Eve wanted to be like God. Remember, she eats, she eats a fruit, have you ever imagined what kind of fruit it might be? I think, I, I think it would be a papaya. Like, I don't like papayas. They're like fleshy and they're not... I like grapefruit or like an orange or something juicy. Like, I don't like a papaya. I think, I think it was a papaya. What's, it's a mango? Oh, man. You don't like mango? Oh, okay, okay, a mango. I was going to say. We'd have to have words after Andrew. And him. <laughs> Could be a man. I don't know. She ate some kind of fruit. Some nasty, evil fruit that was there in the garden. And she wants to be like God, she says. I want to know the difference between good and evil. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They, their sexual innocence, the two of them in perfection, was taken away when Eve became greedy and thinking, I want something more for myself. When I want to please myself, she introduced greed, and all of a sudden, innocence is gone. And if we embrace 
this sexual liberty, which is the dominant worldview, we know this, the way that it's presented to us today, we put ourselves in direct opposition with how God designed our sexuality. We feel that the ability to... Think about this. We feel that it's more important, or many people, maybe not all of us, feel that it's more important to be able to express ourselves sexually and have freedom within that than it is to be obedient to Christ. Paul addresses this when he writes to the Roman church, Romans 1, 24 and 25. He says, Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator for is whoever which is praised. This, this is huge. To understand that, to understand that if we embrace anything outside of what God has designed for us, we're saying it's more important that I feel good and I have freedom than it is to obey God. And any time that our sexuality becomes about how I can feel good or how I can please myself, it gets messed up. Pastor Jeff, when we were, when we were in studying together, he said, you know what the word is? It's about gratitude, not gratification. I'll give him the credit for that. He's the guy that likes to alliterate everything. You'll, you'll notice there, there's only like two key points. That's just because it was Pastor Doug and I preparing this one. Whenever, there's, whenever Pastor Jeff's in, there has to be three. He's like linear and together and, and alliteration. He's a master at that. We only got two points together, but I'll give him the credit. He's here next week, by the way. <laughs> Gratitude, not gratification. Ephesians 4, 5 verse 4, but rather thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not a word we usually attribute to this kind of discussion, but it's right there in scripture. (laughs) And these aren't Rick's ideas. This is, remember, we're going through the book of Ephesians and here we are. These are Paul's words. This is truth. Our goal is to let scripture form our view of sex, not try to apply what we feel should be normal and then see if the Bible agrees with that. So here's what it says, that our sexuality should be an expression of gratitude towards our partner and to God. Because God has a perfect design for our sexuality where no one will ever be hurt and no one ever has reason to feel ashamed or minimized. And these are all feelings that people in the world are dealing with. Amanda and I were talking about this morning, and I don't know if you've been on on Twitter or Facebook this week, but there's this post going around. There's there's a lot of girls who are who have been through um, some, of the, some of the stuff that actually the church has pervaded about. I, there's, there were some studies in the 80s and 90s about um, ways that the church should uh, approach dating and appro- approach sexuality. And there was, and there was a big move of, of girls starting to feel ashamed about who they were. And I don't, know, I don't know if you've seen that. I can't say I agree with everything in the article, but it, it's been posted around because there's a lot of people in our world, both Christian and not, that they attribute feelings of shame and being minimized with their sexuality. If we stay sexually innocent the way God designed it, one man, one woman within marriage, there is never a reason why we would ever feel awkward, where we would ever feel ashamed or minimized. Here's the word picture that I got hearing. It's a beautiful word picture about that, that word pornea. It's a father finding out that his kids have been exposed to some kind of pornography. And God gets so angry and says, No! I had the perfect way. You never should have had to deal with that. 
I had the perfect way for you and you got exposed to something you shouldn't. Fathers, could you imagine where your kids were exposed to that? This is what God is saying. God's, God's so hurt and so broken. He said, I had the perfect, I had something so pure and beautiful for you and you've been exposed to something else. So God gives us a different way. And we're going to end on this thought, this last point here, is that Christ restores your true sexual identity. Let's read verses 8 and 9 again. For you were once darkness. We're darkness. We've been talking about this. We live in this world. We are darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Because of Jesus, we are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. If we go back a few weeks, Ephesians 4.1, he, cho- he chose in us... He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's how he created us. That's how he chose us. All that it requires is for us to be reminded, how about we let God shape our world and our actions and we can be made new again. You remember the picture of the Mustang a few weeks ago? The rusted out Mustang that the restorer came on and and, and did all that work and all of a sudden you've got this brand new beautiful Mustang? I love that. That's what God does to us. That's what God can do to us. Verse 6 reminds us, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. If we hear people who have no light and no truth of God in them, and we start to let them define our sexuality, man, we're in trouble. God is love. We know this. 1 John 4.16. He knows how to define love. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. The way I understand it is we need the light of God to help define love. We need light and to help define love. I've had arguments with people and discussions with people. If two people of the same sex love each other, love God, and they're monogamous, wouldn't God honor that? Wouldn't God honor that because they're, they're faithful to each other and they love God? Or if two people of the opposite sex are committed to each other, they serve God in every way, why do they need the piece of paper that says that they're married? They're already in a vow-like relationship. And you know what? As I've been in the discussions with people, these arguments actually make sense. If you're faithful to one another, if you're honoring one another, think, that's good logic. Except that it leaves the light of God out. And the light of God says, no, when I created sex and sexuality, I created one man and one woman to be together, and that's where the purity and the innocence happens, and it happens in the covenant of marriage. And that doesn't mean that people who have embraced any other form of sexuality can't come to God and can't start to figure out God and let God change them. And start, it's, a, it's a matter of being open to letting God define our sexuality. Ephesians 5.10 Love it. Find out what pleases the Lord. So don't try and tell God, can you be pleased with what I'm doing? Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything's illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So what? What do we do with all this news? (laughs) What do we do with this understanding of our sexuality? We want to be living 
the new humanity, but we also know that the struggle is real. For some of you this morning, I know this hits you in a practical place because your sexual identity is not rooted in what Paul details here in Scripture and what we see in Ephesians, I mean, and we see, or, or we see in Genesis. Paul's words are so clear. The truth this morning is don't let there even be a hint among us. But without condemnation, we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's resolve to find a way to make changes and to begin to embrace the original design of our sexuality. Here's the beautiful thing. Remember that grace picture. God doesn't say, you have to be living the right way and then you come to me. God says, you come to me as you are and let me begin to pinpoint some areas where the Holy Spirit wants to work and just be open that God would work anywhere. So if this message hits you this morning, I pray that those words find out what's pleasing to God and do that. I pray that those words hit you. And we can, we can have, this, is, this will be a beautiful small group discussion week to have ongoing one-on-one conversations or to meet up for coffee and say, how does this really happen in my life? How can this spread out to the lives of others? Maybe it's more, it's not in a practical area, but it's in an area of your thoughts. And your actions may very well be God-centric, but you struggle to have peace about, is this actually right? Is this actually true? <clears throat> and whether or not that there might be you might wonder, might there be something true outside of the church? And does the world have a better view of sexuality? I, rem- I would encourage us, remember that the New Testament standard of living is that our thought life is the same as our actions. The things that we think are just as important as the things that we do. And I pray that this morning we would take those thoughts to God and we would allow him to shape our understanding of what our sexuality would be. Jen, I wonder if could you just come back to the keyboard for a moment? We're just gonna we're just gonna pray. Because for all of us, we live in this world. We live in a world that's that's not dominated by Christ and not dominated by his truth. And because we're human, we know we have sin in us. So the real call this morning is for all of us to re embrace God's gift of salvation and adoption. And not only do it this morning, but do it every day. And the call is for us to be the truth and the light in the world and to share this with anybody. This is what Kat and I were talking about this morning, is that, you know, there there are people who would never come to a church and feel like they could never come to God because they feel like I'm not a saint. (laughs) Because they feel like the church would hate me. The church would hate my understanding of who I am sexually. And we say, no, (laughs) no, God created everybody. He sent Jesus for everybody. And he's calling you in a perfect relationship. All he's asking is that you're open to letting him speak to any area of your life. And I want to pray for us as a church this morning that, that God would do that in us. And if there's anything that needs to change, we don't, we don't feel condemned. We just feel that our loving Father is welcoming us back and says, I've got something perfect for you. And if there's anybody that God's going to work through, that we could go and extend that same message that God has truth about our sexuality and who we are, and he wants you to understand that too. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for your spirit, and I thank you how much you love us, God. 
God, thank you that you don't leave the, such an important topic like this, just that you don't leave it alone in, in, in your word. God, we, we have ideas and opinions about who you are and what your word says, and God, sometimes they're just, they're just so far off. Your message here is, is not that you hate anyone that hasn't, that hasn't been doing it perfectly. Your message is, that there's darkness and there's light and you're just drawing people into light. Because your will is that all of us would become your kids and all of us would begin to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Father, that's what I pray this morning over each of us. God, would we never set ourselves up against your truth, but we would always be molded and shaped. You're the potter, we're the clay. And God, I pray that we would go as those final verses state, that we would live as children of light in the world. This world needs your light. And God, there are people that we know desperately need to hear this message that you love them and that you have a perfect plan for them and that you created them to be sexual beings. And any kind of hurt and distance that they feel is just because we haven't quite perfected it yet. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.